I wouldn't take that back. Like going to the Peace Corps was an experience that was monumental for me and it was so unique. And that's definitely shaped my career and given me opportunities that I otherwise wouldn't have had. What a fantastic conversation with Maria Casey, the new CEO and founder of Buho, the first sustainable e-commerce hub offering ethical, sustainable, and vintage products for women, men, kids, and home. We jump throughout this conversation, dating from her time in the Peace Corps in Bangladesh to starting this business, Buho, and all the zigzags as she describes it throughout. She's an unbelievable storyteller. We even dig into what she learned while working at Bagel and Deli and the newspaper she started as a college senior on campus. That story is unbelievable. And how Miami gave her creative freedom and the power of creative freedom that everybody should think about and use as they prosper in life. This is a good one. Enjoy. Senior year, I act, I was, um, I don't know if you remember the High Street Journal, but I was going to work on that uh, newspaper and I was so excited about it being an English major. And then they shut down the funding. So I didn't know what I was going to do. So I actually launched um, a, a localized parody or a localized version of The Onion. It was mm -hmm. called The Water Tower in honor of the old water tower. And I actually went to all the businesses and got them to pay for advertising in the little newspaper. And I was able to actually fund it that way. So we'd like sneak into the computer lab, lay out the paper. Um, I had a bunch of writers, friends from my creative writing classes and journalism classes, and we put it together and we started churning out five, the minimum was like 5,000 issue or 5,000 copies that I had to print down in Cincinnati. <laughs> so we would drive down the zip disc every week, oh pick them up. There was typos everywhere. It was horrible, but we ended up being able to do this and it was hilarious. So, um, well, hang on, hang on. So I'm pausing <laughs> for one second. So I'll date myself. There was no high street journal when I was at Miami. There was, okay. there was the Miami student and there was yep. and there was the arena for the fraternities and sorority life. So, what was the High Street Journal that that had shut down? It was it was um, it was funded by the Oxford Press. So, whatever the local Oxford newspaper was, yep. they had the college version of it that was not funded by the university. So, we had a little more leeway about what we could cover. Okay. But when that was gone, I wanted to. Do, I had to do something else. Um, so I was working at Bagel and Deli at the time, and I went to Ned and Gary. I'm like, you guys, can you please take out a one-page ad? I think I sold it for like 400 bucks. <laughs> and I was trying to get to like the minimum. So they did, and in return, I put this like entertainment calendar on the back page of here's all of the specials or like two-for-one happy hour during this, like, this day at this bar, whatever band was playing downtown. And so they liked that to get that exposure of like the entertainment calendar, and then we could also have fun and write this like parody about the school um, throughout the rest of it. And I even had a cartoonist that was pretty funny. And so keep going, keep going. No, um, it was like, it was such a hack job. I would sneak into the computer labs and like lay out this, like lay out the newspaper, design the paper, sold the ads. And then we would take turns driving down and then picking them up and distributing them at all the fraternity houses and dorms. So what was the, thr was the thrill that you are an entrepreneur uh, in spirit, in mind, or was the thrill, um, as you just mentioned, kind of a hack job, like, I'm just going to go do something, and they took away the paper that I love, and uh, I'm going to stick it right back to them. 
It wasn't even that. It was more of like, well, I was going to be editor in chief of this paper. I was so excited. And then when that went away, I'm like, well, now what? Mm. Like, this is my last year. I had done all the creative, like I was in the writing program so deep. So I just thought, well, this will be fun. Let's see if we can do it. Hmm. And I was talking to like Ned and Gary from Big Deli were always champion, like getting the whatever the student card that you would buy your meals to use that at businesses and like help support the local businesses. So that was also one of the angles. And we ended up being profitable, believe it or not, that we had like $2,000 at the end of the year. So I took our staff of six down to Buca de Beppo in Cincinnati. That's awesome. <laughs> and we blew it. And then I, some guy actually was going to take it over the next year and I walked him through everything and he's like, this is too hard. I can't do it. What? Uh, I, I love that. Well, that would be hard if the end, if the exit, so to speak, was too grand. That's a, that's a hard <laughs> business to, to, to replicate well, and scale. It was just, it was something that was really fun. And I felt like there needed to be some kind, it was more about the entertainment component. Like let's bring people downtown and like, or uptown and live, I lived above Bagel and Deli. So I was always right between Skippers and Bagel and Deli throughout that whole year. Uh, That's fantastic. And so what was your operating budget for each paper that you published? Oh God, probably less than what, I, I can't even remember. I think it was like, 750 bucks to print every week and i did that was it i didn't pay for anybody else that's great it was just all of the money that went to the printing it and then we would distribute it out of our cars or like on our bikes Mm. okay so at this point your senior year you're 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 working at bagel and deli you've got a paper the parody of the onion you're having a ball it sounds like it's so much fun and you're thinking, oh my gosh, in a few months I'm in the real world and, and then what? Or did you have an idea of what what was next? Well, so my dad is also Miami alum. Um, he was in the Peace Corps and met my mom in Ecuador. Hmm. So when we went, he took us down when one of the art trips, and I think I was about 15, I went to his old village. And he knocked on this door and this woman came out and remembered him, who was his host family in the village. The husband had passed away a couple of years before. And I thought it was so cool. So I made a deal with them. I was like, when I graduate, I'm going to do the Peace Corps. Make sure that I stick with it. And they thought, yeah, right. She's 15. She's high maintenance. She'll never follow through with it. Well, my brothers, so it was like right after Christmas and I was back home and my two older brothers made a bet of whether or not I would go. And I was like, well, no, I'm doing this. I'm going to prove everybody wrong. So I, you know, after I was in the a double majored in creative writing and journalism and I thought, okay, well, I can be a travel writer. So if I go and join the Peace Corps, that'll take me somewhere. I'll be able to write about it and then be, have, be a travel writer for my career. So when I got the placement of Bangladesh, I freaked out. Hmm. My mom opened it first and she called crying and I was so mad that she had actually opened it. So then I go home like, oh my gosh, I thought when they said they gave me the choice of Asia or Africa. So I chose Asia thinking I would, I don't know, go to Thailand or China or something. (laughs) So I didn't even really know where Bangladesh was. Um, But I'm like, okay, I got to stick with this. I'm going to do it. And I did it. I went and the culture shock was tremendous. I journaled a lot, but I was so overwhelmed with my experience. I was kind of just soaking everything in, just like the volume of people. When you, Bangladesh is like in a little pocket inside of India. So it's crowded. There are people everywhere and it's very poor and it's very hot and it has this really distinct smells of curry. So I had a really, um, it was a very growing period for me, but I was extremely glad I did it. I was there for just over a year and then we got evacuated. 
because it was a little too dangerous. Um, but it taught me a lot about wanting, like seeing other cultures, you know, spending so much time in Ecuador as a child, also seeing that third world component and then looking at Bangladesh, that was like eighth world in comparison. So I, when I came back to the States, I was like, all right, well, that's done. I'm going to go to New York and follow my dream, like my goals of being the next like Anna Wintour. So I moved to the city and I worked for my cousin's, um, bar restaurant for a little while. And then I got into advertising and I realized, well, I don't know how anybody lives in New York because this is so expensive. And I was making like 30 grand and could not afford my apartment. So I was also working, um, like side jobs just to be able to pay my rent and make ends meet. And that's really what took me into my business development for the next 15 years. I met these guys from Chicago who came into the bar and were like, Hey, you should be in sales. I want to hire you. You can write. And that was something my dad had always told me. Nobody in business, like he was in international business his whole life. And he's like, none of these guys can write. I have to send them back to school to learn how to write a business plan. And so I was like, Oh, well I can do that. So I basically learned business from him. And then really cut my teeth in the next four years, working, working myself up in this gaming startup that took me learning global business development. All and right, hang I on, remember, hang on. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm going to, we're going to slow down and go one back to the bar here. So, okay. so talk, talk to me about this gentleman from Chicago coming into the bar, like okay. walk us through that. So I was working at this Irish pub where no one ever went. And it was a Saturday or I, I had the Saturday and Sunday day shifts and these group of four guys from Chicago walked in. They're like, Hey, can you put on the bears game? I'm like, yeah, sure. There's like one guy still sleeping from the night before. <laughs> so I turn on the game and gave them sound. And then those four guys the next week were 10 guys and then 20 guys. That was the year. I think it was like, it was 2007. They went to the Super Bowl yep. that year. So the bears paid my rent every Sunday mm. and it was awesome. And so one of the guys that was there was, um, running sales for this gaming company. And he's like, you know what? You should be in sales. I'm like, yeah, everybody tells me that. And he ended up, I like, he introduced me to the founders of this company. I, t I did a proposal for them and redid kind of all of the, like the format that they had. And they're like, this is great. You're hired. And that was really how I went from advertising and bartending to actually business development. Oh my God. And that took me, that like changed my whole life. And I'll never forget that moment. And he's such a cool dude. He has now been at Facebook and he runs Facebook Chicago. And he has always said, you know, just pay it forward, pay it forward. I've always had that mindset of, okay, somebody gave me this chance. I'm going to keep doing that as much as I can. I'm going to pause again and I'm going to go back because I love – it's interesting. Normally when we do these pods, I take where are you now and then I go backwards from there and we finish at Miami. This one's so different because your road – and we talked about it before you went on. It is a zigzag. It's an awesome zigzag. And so it's better to build up to, to what you're doing now because I think all these life moments help tell the story. But go, go back to Bangladesh for a second and the one year – what did Bangladesh or that year teach you that you wanted to do, didn't want to do, or where you should spend your energy moving forward? That's a good question. So I have always had this humanitarian component in my life growing up with an international family. Um, and, you know, my mom's a huge 
uh, my mom's one of 11 kids in Ecuador and we spent a lot of time there. So when I was in Bangladesh seeing, I was doing a lot of, I was helping a lot of NGOs for grant writing, um, helping them get funding. We, I, I worked with, um, one of my host mother had a diabetes center. And so I worked with her to set up this micro loan program for the people in the, in the village where they could come in, present their idea and we give them a loan of a hundred dollars or $500, whatever it was that they needed to start that business. And so, that international development was always core to who I was as a person. And it was interesting. I remember sitting down with my advertising agency with the creative director. And he's like, how did you go from the selfless place in Bangladesh as a Peace Corps volunteer to the most selfish industry of advertising hmm. within a year? Like, how is that? That's such a paradox. And it was, but I think that's like, a, it, I'm a, so many different pieces. And so I was always trying to figure out how can I bring that philanthropy, humanitarian aspect into business? Like there's got to be a way that I could combine both. And I didn't know what that was. So that's where I really spent 15 years honing in on business and marketing and customer acquisition and, you know, how to grow and scale small companies and knowing that somehow I'm going to figure out how to go back and I'm going to combine these two. And so I thought maybe that was even involved in the nonprofit world. So I started a nonprofit a few years ago and then that still wasn't really, it wasn't, it didn't come full circle until this last year. Hmm. And, and the stops along the way in these 15 years where you have worked at, advised, maybe invested in, were they moments in time or I'm going to go in and solve a particular challenge or, or create an opportunity and then look for the next thing? How, how did you, what was the mindset of I'm going to work at one place forever or I'm going to work at a lot of places and, and solve different challenges along the way? I think it was more, it was more about learning. And I, you know, every time, like what I was with Arcadium, a gaming company in New York for four uh, almost five years. Yep. And I went from New York and they moved me to Los Angeles in 2010. And once, you know, once I was done with that, I didn't know what I was going to do next because it, that was the most incredible learning experience that I could have had because I wore so many different hats. And really I, that was my business school. Um, I was, I remember being on the phone with Mark Cuban and just having this like, what, 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 how is this little girl from Ohio sitting on the other end with Mark Cuban and trying to get him to invest in, in our business? So it was, I, I had several of those moments that were kind of like had to pinch myself that this was real. Did he invest, that, in, did he invest in the business? He ended up not. That was, it was actually during the social gaming phase where Zynga was huge and everybody that owned IP wanted to build a Facebook game or a social game. Um, but the margins on the, like the profitability on them were just horrible. So that ended quickly and then moved into mobile gaming. And that's really when I left the gaming industry. But each company after that was a learning experience for me. It was like, okay, I'm not ready to go do my own thing yet because I don't know this or I don't know enough about this component. So I went from Arcadium into um, a video startup and then I was consulting and I got into e-commerce and it was the combination of the e-commerce company wanted me because I had experience doing big global deals and they wanted to really build this B2B with global deals. So I was helping them on Chanel and Ted Baker and like really large retail brands to bring into their platform. And then going to interactive video that was combining 
shopping and gaming and storytelling. So for me, it was really all about storytelling. And I was always had to have some role that was combining creativity with business. Because if I was just a straight salesperson, I would never do it. Mm. And but did and you mentioned a second ago you weren't ready to have your own business. Did you know as you were going through this journey and you were picking up the learnings along the way that the end game was to have a business? Probably. Um, probably indirectly I did. I always I, well, everyone, like my husband and my family were always telling me, go do your own thing, go do your own thing. I just didn't know what my own thing was mm-hmm. because I didn't really, I wasn't passionate about gaming. I wasn't passionate about video. I wasn't passionate about media. What, and so I, that's where I really had to come back and say, okay, what am I passionate about? I'm passionate about social good. Um, I love clothes. I've always been into fashion, but it was never something that I was going to go be a designer. Um, and design a label. And so that's where it really took me last summer where I was working for um, a company that was uh, that Disney had invested in. And I got to really fast track through business development through all of the different aspects and businesses that are owned by Disney. And it was an incredible experience. And a lot of the people who I met along that way are now advisors for me today, helping me to raise money with this company. And really, that's that was the next piece, I think, that I was really missing to feel confident to go and do this by myself. And what was the light bulb moment in here around this time that you said, I, I want to combine social good and fashion and clothing uh, and some of your words, philanthropy into business that said, okay. Yeah, I'm ready to write that business plan. I'm ready to go do this myself. Oh my gosh, if only it happened that way. I, <laughs> it was so uh, the exactly where the light bulb moment was. It was this past February. I was in Vegas for Market Week, where everybody goes to buy the inventory that they want for the next season. And I was consulting for several different e-commerce companies, and I was there, and I hadn't been there in six years since I had last um, worked in the e-commerce retail space. And it was really depressing. There wasn't a lot of innovation. Every The styles seemed the same as they were year over year. It wasn't crowded. It was noticeably pretty empty. And that's when I was talking to a friend, like, why, like, it seems like an outdated, archaic kind of process to have everybody go and meet in one place and buy all this stuff for people to then consume. So I did a bunch of research. And fortunately, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation is a wealth of, not like a wealth of info about sustainability and the retail, like the state of the retail industry in general. So when I dug into this and saw how much waste is actually created by the fashion industry and by retail in general, it was mind blowing. Um, the stats just blew, blew my mind. So 1% of all clothing is actually recycled. So the 99% of the rest of it goes in landfills and, you know, then the landfills get, you know, are, are overflowing. So we sell stuff to Africa, we sell it to China, but when even China stops buying all of our basically trash there, where, you know, there's nowhere else for it to go. So this cycle and all of these things were just building up in me about, well, if I take a step back and look at, okay, my, my shopping behaviors, I Amazon Prime like it's nobody's business, but because it's so easy, because of that accessibility. And when I looked at how many sites I was actually going to to try to buy everything sustainable or eco-friendly for me and my family, it was I'd have to go to seven different places. There wasn't one place that existed where I could just go and know that I was buying things that were good for the planet. And so that's when I decided, okay, I'm building it. 
So this was February of 2019. I incorporated the business March 1st. I did within two weeks, I don't think I slept at all, Mm -hmm. but I did all the research, made sure I knew here's my competitive landscape. Here's my forecasting, my revenue models that are completely off today. But I just put all of this info together and I was in it and I knew like, I have to do this and I'm doing it quick. I wanted to make sure I did it before somebody else did. So I hired my first team May 1st and we launched the end of June. And so all in all it was six weeks. And the, the, the money to hire the first person comes from where? Friends and family. Mm-hmm. And like it was our family savings, my dad, my mom, a couple friends. Because, and that's the interesting thing with, you know, starting in other companies I've worked for, we would raise money to build a prototype that we needed like $10,000 for. Well, I needed 25 times that to actually hold inventory and buy all of these elements, that these products that we were selling. And the sourcing component was actually also uh, something I started in May. And I have a list of about 5,000 different brands across all of these different departments. So we have women's, men's, kids, and home, home goods. And that was intentional because I wanted to make sure that this could be a hub for all of these different products. And talk about creating the name. <laughs> Buho is actually Buho. It's um, owl in Spanish. And our best friends have a little four-year-old girl who wanted to name her baby sister Owl as I was going through this naming thing. And I was like, oh, I like it. That works. But then when I was saying it in the Spanish way, nobody understood what I was saying. So I had to gringoize it. And it's Buho. Oh, my gosh. All right. So now we're May, June, July, August. I mean, you probably can count to the day. But we're five months, six months into business. Yes. Where are we? We're growing. So we are steadily growing. It's, it's, it's challenging because I come from a customer acquisition background of always buying either users or customers or views. And so it costs money to make money. I'm currently fundraising right now to get our seed round so that we can really scale. My goal is to really scale into millions of homes throughout 2020. And I've been getting great response. I'm on negotiations with several high-profile celebrities to come in and back the business. And the feedback that I've been getting universally is fantastic. Everybody loves it. Um, We've really taken a lot of like attention to detail for customer service because that to me is so crucial and that can make or break a company. So making sure that we're honest with our customers, honest with our vendors, responding in a timely manner, shipping things when they're supposed to get there, apologizing for mistakes and giving people credit where, you know, where we need to fix certain things. But it's been great. We have over, I think we have about 150 brands now live on the site. Um, Our sales are growing every day. Our customers are growing every day. People are finding us organically, which is also awesome. So let's just the tactics of I go to the site, I see what, I buy what, what happens next? So all of the products are curated. Um, Everything fits into one of our seven values. They're either sustainable, ethically made, handmade, vegan, vintage, or promoting gender equality in the workforce. So you can, you can come to the site and shop by department. You can go to men's, women's, kids, home, or vintage, or you can go and shop by, I'm a, I'm a vegan and I only wear vegan goods. So you can click on vegan and take you to only that section. And so the interesting part is 
for traditional e-commerce, you don't usually have a lot of vintage. Um, it's harder to sell online, but that was super important for me to maintain our margins because we have collected this really incredible um, collection of vintage that from a bunch of different rag houses and estate sales and a friend of mine who's been collecting it since she was 14. And so once you come in and you place your order with us, we send you, we send you your order and the packaging is 100% um, biodegradable. The, the packaging itself is compostable. If there's any fragile items, we wrap them in um, foam that disintegrates. So we're not, we're trying to eliminate any, um, any impact on the planet as possible. And then we give you a prepaid return label to send us any unwanted goods so that we can distribute them. So when you send it, when you send us your old clothing, we send them to our, one of our nonprofit partners, if it's what they need at that time, or we save it to turn it into new materials. So really trying to make it easy for the consumer. So you don't have to think about it. You don't have to go to Goodwill and wonder where it's going. You don't have to throw it in the trash can. We want to take all of that so that we can responsibly recycle it. And then it's also keeping the customer in the cycle so that they're staying, they're loyal. We give them credit and it's, there's no limit to how much store credit they can get from their donations. Uh, it's fascinating. And as you are out in the seed round, it's a, it's a different type of ask when you're not going to friends and family. Um, sometimes easier, sometimes har harder. You know, friends and family can often be borrowing. Talk about just creating a valuation and now going out to the marketplace to say, I've built something. It's worth this. Believe in me. It's, so I have raised money for um, several startups before in tech, and that seemed to be like, oh, that was that was easy. I can I've gotten twenty million for businesses. Well, of course I can get one or two. Well, retail is a whole different ball game. So all of the VC connections that I have, they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm not touching retail. Good luck. So I had to really go deep into my network to find a sub network inside of there. And I went after women, people that were investing in women owned businesses and people that had done retail. So looking at a lot of angels and I, that's also why I went the celebrity route because they're so avid about their, the brand that they've built. They want to tie themselves to something that is doing good for the people or the planet. And my, the value has really been about people looking at the long game. So looking at, you know, thankfully to Greta and the young activists leading the charge for the climate, all the climate activism against the climate crisis and climate change, that's actually helped with the education component on this issue a lot, because I knew that was going to be one of the barriers. There was going to be a long tail of education that had to go into it for people to really fully understand the detriment of fast fashion on the environment. And then Forever 21 filing bankruptcy a few weeks ago also brought this again to the forefront. So now these conversations that I'm having with investors are a lot easier. And they're like, well, yeah, of course I get it. One of the things that's always uncomfortable for any investor is the idea of holding inventory. But for us, maintaining that understanding where everything's coming from is a core part of our business. And knowing that we are distributing it in a responsible and eco-friendly way is also another core pillar. I want to go back to the first question, and of course, you always have to go back to Bagel and Deli. It seems only appropriate, but because uh, we could we could talk the business forever. I'm I'm curious back if we go back to the Miami days, and you you absolutely had that entrepreneurial spirit of oh this paper closed, what am I going to do next? But I'm actually going to go create it myself and go to my bosses and ask for money, and then go ask others in town. 
What did Miami teach you or what opportunity did Miami give you to help you grow and build out what could be in the future? Creative freedom. Mm -hmm. I felt so liberated there. So I, I also studied abroad in Luxembourg with Miami and that was an incredible experience. And then when I came back, uh, my junior year, that's when I started a big one deli. And that gave me access to the businesses that were uptown that were actually in, you know, helping Oxford thrive. And it was that level of entrepreneurship and seeing the, like the work behind the scenes and getting to know the business owners, but also combined with being in the creative writing program, the English program at Miami was just fascinating for me. And I met brilliant, brilliant people and being surrounded by this, this group of creative people that were just so smart was incredible. My senior year, I was invited to a graduate capstone or a graduate workshop with Richard Bosch, who was a fiction author. And he came to Miami and he stayed in one of the little houses um, down on High Street by campus. And we had um, like some, we all had one-on-one -on -one sessions with him. So I remember walking through the record store that was on High Street. I can't remember the name of it. Um, going through the records with him and I'm like, okay, so I got to ask him a tough question. I need to know if I'm good enough to be a writer. And I asked him and he said, well, if you're asking me that you already are. Like, okay, cool. So it was like those little moments that were, I guess it's just a, like a typical college thing that I sought out. I never stepped foot into the business school, um, which I probably should have as my dad says, my accountant could use some help, but the creative writing was just so core to everything for me. Um, between that and the working at Bagel and Deli and having that exposure to the to the town, it was amazing. I, I think it's a great line. And most people would say I worked at Bagel and Deli and I pressed some cool jewels and I made sure the guys didn't steal the, the Cheetos and the Doritos at 2.30 in yep. the morning. So the appreciation for when you're given an opportunity to take advantage of it and able to speak to owners on a day-to-day -day. how does one run a small business in a in a place that's only has students nine months out of the year so i i love that and the interest to dig a little deeper than just what the job it was yeah and i think i don't know if even they would realize i don't even know if i realized that that's what i was doing at the time but i that was kind of part that was always part of it hmm. andy and terry from skippers were amazing and i remember like sunday mornings you know, being hung over as a college student, going in there to borrow like cucumbers or carrots from their kitchen. They're like, can you just get out of, go back to your, go back to your job, get out of here. I'm like, well, we're out of this. I really need it. Mm. But it was great. Like the relationship with, with all of those guys was, was awesome. And, and to the 18 year olds or the 22 year olds on campus now, what's the one thing you tell them as they hit the internship world or Peace Corps or for-profit world in the near future? You know, I think it's it's about being authentic and like not getting distracted by fleeting moments or people that that come and go. And as long as you stay true to what you want to do, and you know, part of what was there was a little struggle when I came back from the Peace Corps because I was behind my classmates or like the people I graduated with were you know a, several years into their jobs, so they were making more money and they were more advanced in their career. And when you're starting out, that's a a big difference between year one and year three and so but the I wouldn't I wouldn't take that back like going to the Peace Corps was an experience that was monumental for me and it was so unique and that's definitely shaped my career and giving me opportunities that I otherwise wouldn't have had 
And so I think it's really just being humble and staying true to you. What an unreal conversation with Maria. Her backstory is fantastic. I could spend a day just talking about starting the newspaper on campus and the actual learning she got at Bagondelli. You don't hear that often from a college student to the Peace Corps and all the jobs in between. And now this startup, Buho, that she's taking to market. You can hear it in the voice, the passion she has it. You know she's going to go crush it. Make sure to check it out. Go look online. Buy some products. Maria, thanks for joining. See you all at Skippers real soon for a nice cold beer. Take care.